Let me tell you a little bit. Next week on October 30th, we're celebrating our um, 39th anniversary as a church that God brought us here to Utah. And um, I don't know if you all know this, but I do pottery. I have a hobby where um, I do pottery on Tuesday nights with a bunch of people in my neighborhood and friends from other places too. And this is one of my little amateur beginner uh, pots that I have potted, <laughs> you could say. <laughs> and um, next week, we've been talking about pottery. Uh, my friend Ray Lynn here, raise your hand. She and I are believers and we get talking about church and Jesus and how much we love God in our pottery class and our, our fellow potters tease us, but we've been talking about um, doing a pottery demonstration at church. And my instructor's like, when are we doing this? When are we doing this? And I was like, hold on, hold on. I don't quite know how to do this and I'm not quite ready for this. And he's like, I'm, when are we doing this? So next Sunday, I'm bringing my pottery teacher here and Leslie and Amanda and Raylin and I and Aaron, we all have things to talk about the pottery process. It's going to be messy. Bring your kids, our children, and youth. We're asking that they all stay in the service. So if your parents, everybody, you're going to want front row seats so that you can actually see what is happening. We'll move this podium. And um, we just feel like God wants, I feel like God wants to speak, speak to us. I also love that my community outside of church wants to come. So like, how fun is that? That they wanna come and participate with what we're doing. So come, cause it's gonna be cool. I'm telling you, you don't wanna miss it. So um, October 10th, I'm Sarah, for those of you who might not know me or are new here, but I'm Sarah and it's just a privilege to teach today. But um, a few weeks ago, Brian Fontaine, who's back there serving us as a volunteer back there, he said, I feel like God um, gave me a word for this community, and he just wanted to email it to me. And I was like, okay, great. He said, the Lord showed me that as a community of believers, we need God. He knows that, but he wants us to know that he needs us too. He needs us to um, out teaching and making disciples that make disciples that make disciples, and that anytime more than ever, people need Christ. God wants people to know, I want all my people who love me to come home to where I am preparing mansions. So thank you, Brian, for sending that to me via email. What I love about Brian and Brittany is they have a passion to reach other people with the good news. And I just, I love that about them. I also just, um, this idea that God partners with us, God chooses to partner with us to reach people and to do things throughout the earth. And um, he's passionate that, that we are sharing the love of Christ with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with our families, with everyone around us. So thank you, Brian, for sharing that. Um, for those of you who don't know me or those of you who think you know me and may not know me, uh, my mom is from Montana, so I'm wearing cowboy boots today. I was hoping Luke would be here today because he always wears cowboy boots. But I'm also from the state of Washington. That's where I spent most of my childhood. And then, yes, I lived in Mexico. So, yeah, I've been all over the place. But when we were kids in Washington, uh, one of our favorite things to do in the summer is my mom would take us down to the lakes. And we'd just spend the whole summer at the lakes, even when it was cold. But, you know, 
It's Washington. You just want to be out playing in the sand. And there were always docks in the middle of the lake. And it was just so fun to swim out to the dock. But as we got bigger, and this happens in sw happened in swimming pools too, there was this game we played. Um, as long as the lifeguards didn't catch us, it was called King of the Island. Did anyone else play King of the Island? No, what? Oh, only one other person. King of the Mountain. Okay, King of the Island. Oh, King of the Mountain. Okay. It's in the middle of water. It should be an island, not a mountain. Anyway, King of the Island or King of the Mountain was essentially a wrestling match to see who could stay on the dock the longest or who could stay on the floaty the longest, right? You all remember that game, right? I guess maybe we were just the wild ones. <laughs> it was so fun to throw each other in the lake, to be thrown into the lake. And we only got hurt every once in a while. So as kids, we often have this instinctual need to play king, queen. Uh, we imagine protect, protecting ourselves. Remember the books, Boxcar Children. You know, we, we're survivors. You play and you practice ruling, making shelters, forts. We do all of those things. Um, we're practicing and learning rhythms of work, play, rest, and ruling. Some of the rhythms we learn as kids are good and some are bad, right? But this next week, I'm going to talk about how God works in us, how God works making us vessels from clay, how God works in us. But today I want to speak about how we work with God. And I mentioned this last week. And we're going to have a commissioning service, and we're going to commission you and commission one another in our work. So there are three kind of places I'm going to go. The first, the longer section, we're going to talk about work and how we reflect God's image in our work. And then secondly, we're going to look at David's work in 1 Samuel 16, because we're in this series in the life of David. And then finally, we're going to finish with prayer and commissioning and anointing, if you would like it. Let's start at the beginning, Genesis 126. Could we get Genesis 126? Thank you. God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. So from the opening lines in our collective faith history, God has created us to reflect the image of God by stewarding, governing, reigning, working. David, King David, would later write a song about this, Psalm 8. I had to include the musical notes for the choir director, a psalm of David, to be accompanied by a stringed instrument. So our guitarist maybe would be playing this song. I don't know, maybe the pianist, that's a stringed instrument too. But imagine this song, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. 
You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, flocks and herds, animals of the wild, birds in the sky, fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I love how it finishes with praise. God makes God this incredible, extraordinary God of ranch lands and jungles and seas and deserts. He partners with us and says, you, you're going to be rulers. You're going to be workers. You're going to be stewards of this. This idea of ruling can have negative connotation, can't it? Like we're like, ah, don't rule over me. What kind of ruler are you? Because we've been hurt sometimes by abuse of power, right? To rule means to have power, dominion over, to subdue. There's been abuse of that word. Um, in our Freedom Seminar, we talk about bitter root expectations, judgments and expectations. Sometimes I think we have bitter root expectations about being ruled or ruling. Whenever there are authority structures, wherever people have power, where we rule, there's a potential for abuse of power, right? Think about in our families, God intended it to be a place of nurturing, but sometimes it's a place of abuse where we just have to learn how to defend ourselves and survive. Think about education. We all have memories of the best teacher. I hope we do. How many of us have memories though of the worst teacher? Oh, I see hands <laughs> everywhere. Nobody raised their hand when I said the best teacher. Everyone raised their hand when I said the worst. Um, in our workplace, I have a friend who um, began, who became the employer instead of the employee, small business owner. And I was talking with them and they were like, oh my goodness, I had no idea what it means to be an employer. I just remember always complaining about my boss and we all would just rag on our employer and just diss on him. And then, she's, and then they said, now, now I'm like, what was I thinking? I had no idea what it meant to be an employer. And I said, okay, now be careful that you don't start dissing on all your employees. Like, don't let's just, let's not just reverse this, right? But that we can have this thing with our bosses, with our, the companies we work for in our workplaces, our admin. Law enforcement, we see heroism and rescue and great personal sacrifice from our law enforcement and other services like that. But we've also witnessed grave abuse of power, right? And it's like, oh, government, We've been so blessed with this incredible system, and yet again, we know from history and circumstances that there can be corruption and injustice. Religious systems. Sometimes as leaders, we come in service, and other times we act out of self-interest, fear, and a need to control. Abuse of power is real, and it needs to be corrected. But it could could it be that because of the abuse that we have collectively suffered and inflicted, that we've also developed ungodly fears and judgments about ruling and rulers? 
those seeds of judgment can turn into weeds and sin that will entangle us so that we have bitter root expectations of what it means to be a ruler or to follow a ruler or someone in authority. I'm getting to David, I promise. I'm just setting this up. God wants us to see his heart for what a ruler looks like and believe that God could provide good leaders for us and that we can be godly leaders, that we would have the courage to be godly leaders. Bitter root expectations can prevent us from becoming those leaders and from receiving from authority or experts or being led in unity. In the kingdom of heaven, though, being a ruler who reflects the image of God does not look like ruling the way we see it today, the way we often see it portrayed today. As often as the case, ruling with God's heart seems upside down or opposite the way the world works. The Lord is looking for rulers who have a heart. The Lord is looking for rulers. That's a lot of R's. They're hard to say. <laughs> He's looking for rulers with David hearts, shepherding hearts. Those who have a heart like Jesus. Today, I'm going to call those priestly rulers, servant rulers. This paradox is illustrated in the Exodus story. Remember when God's people were under a pharaoh and, and slavery and the bondage of Egypt and God calls them out and he says, you're going to be a new kind of people and, it, and enter into a new way of life. Exodus 19, five through six says this. If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So there's lots of metaphors in scripture for who we are and, and, and how we relate to God and one another. But when it comes to the kingdom, the metaphors, the role is really clear. We're supposed to be part of a kingdom of priests. We hear this again in the New Testament with the new covenant, 1 Peter 2 through 9. You guys want to read this with me? You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So we're marked by these two things, mercy and proclaiming praises, a kingdom of priests. Eugene Peterson describes a priest this way. A priest presents a person to God or presents God to a person. A priest makes the God connection real or visible. A priest represents human needs before God and sets God's word before men and women. God and humans have something to do with one another. 
and everything to do with one another. A priest says and acts that reality. Last week, we spoke about how David was anointed for a purpose to do something significant. God chose David not because of his outward appearance or his significance, but because of the condition of his heart. God said about David, he's got a heart like mine. There was something about David's shepherding work that trained him for kingly and priestly work. As God's royal priesthood, his kingdom of priests were created and called to make visible what kingdom ruling looks like, just like David. We're called to act out of the reality of serving and bringing people's needs around us to God and God's word to them. And it doesn't look like king of the mountain or king of the island. It's not, that's not what it looks like. We spoke last week how David was anointed but it takes 20 years before he actually becomes positioned as king. 20 years. So, however, David doesn't win king of the island by throwing Saul into the lake. David teaches us that we rule by serving David begins from the minute he's anointed to present pe presenting people to God and God to people. And we'll see that with Saul and the people around him. David, even though he's rough and he's flawed and he's sinful at times and he makes all sorts of mistakes, he serves as a priest making the God connection real and visible. He's constantly setting God's word before the people and bringing the people's needs before God. So we're going to get, here we are, 1 Samuel 16. David begins serving Saul. David gets to work. What does it look like? Now, because Saul's choices and not setting, of his choices and not setting his heart toward God, the spirit of the Lord departs from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord starts tormenting Saul. I don't understand exactly, you can read about this in 1 Samuel 16. I don't understand exactly how all that goes down or what it means. But what I do know and what we do know is that when we turn away from God, we can make ourselves vulnerable to all sorts of torment. And I think that is a takeaway from Saul's life. Like when we turn from God, we can just make ourselves vulnerable to so much. And even when our hearts are toward God, we still go through difficult times, but we know we have Jesus with us, helping us along the way. Saul's servants and his attendants can see what is happening to Saul. They're like, uh-oh, there is an evil spirit tormenting Saul. It's interesting. So often we on our own can't discern our own spiritual condition. Sometimes we don't see it clearly. That's why we need other people around us. We need community. We need other believers who can look around us and say, 
like Saul's attendants, this is what they say. Look, Saul, an evil spirit is tormenting you. Why don't we search for a good musician who plays the harp, and when that spirit comes on you, you will feel better. Yeah. In other words, sometimes we need friends around us who say, hey, you don't look so hot. Let's go find you a worship leader. Let's go. Let's find someone who's a skilled musician who can get us into the presence of God, who the Lord is with him, who does priestly work and can bring your need to God and God's word to you. Let's find a place where we can bring, we can hear God's word and bring our hearts to God. We need that. Saul says, okay, sure. Find someone who plays well and bring him to me. So one of the servants answers, I've seen this son of Jesse in Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. It's like a little harp or like a little guitar. He's a brave man. He's a warrior. He speaks well and he's fine looking. And the Lord is with him. It's almost like the other things matter. Like if you're going to be led in worship, we need skilled musicians like what we have, right? But what really matters is that the Lord is with him. So Saul sends messengers. They go get um, to the house of Jesse and they say, send us your son, David, who is with the sheep. So what is David doing? He's been serving. He's been working. He's been at peace. He's been at rest. He hasn't been contending, trying to do something. He's just being trained out there with the sheep. So verse 21, David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse saying, allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. It's such a fascinating point in time. He becomes an armor bearer. He's in service. He has favor. One of the commentators that I use says that, um, go ahead, Caleb, thank you. David did not have to manipulate his way into the palace or into Saul's favor. He allowed the Lord to open the doors for him. David didn't have to wonder, is this of the Lord or is this of me? because he let the Lord open the doors for him. It's just so beautiful that God anoints us and then God makes a way for us. Isn't that, we don't have to strive. We don't have to push. We don't have to, I mean, we want to be skilled. We want to be brave. We want to be warriors. We want to, you know, have favor with people, present ourselves. But we don't have to shove or push or manipulate or crowbar things into being. Saul entrusts his life to David as his armor bearer. And as Saul's armor bearer, David's going to learn all the many more things he needs to learn for the day he would rule as king. It's just amazing. I love how God shapes us and molds us and prepares us for service. 1 Samuel 16, 23 says, Whenever the Spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. 
then relief would come to Saul and he would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. David's kingly service began with priestly service, bringing relief and order to Saul's life and Saul's court. David started by serving. David begins ruling long before the world would see him as king. So here's what's interesting. Samuel anoints David before God and his brothers, even though he's not positioned as king, but David begins ruling. And it's, it's, it's that, it's a paradox. It's an upside down type of ruling. First Chronicles 11 says it this way, 11 verses one and two. All, this is 20 years later when, when David is actually anointed king. So we're fast forwarding. I'm giving you a, a glimpse into the future. And this is what they say to David as they're anointing him king for the second time. Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also, in time past, even when Saul was king, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. Does that sound like a shepherd? Remember, he brings us in and out of green pastures. Remember that from Psalm 23? You were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord your God said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over my people Israel. Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel according to the word of the Lord by Samuel. Sometimes we're anointed before our brothers and sisters, and then we step into that anointing, and then as we do that, God brings us favor at another level. And then all of a sudden, other people around us recognize that anointing. And it's not, we, God doesn't want passive aggressive rulers, right? David doesn't do that. And we're going to learn more about that. He isn't like undermining King Saul all along the way. We don't want to be that way in our workplaces, wherever we are. We just want to be Psalm 23. David, heart like God servers, wherever we are. Um, another thing about the rest of David's life is that it's his lifestyle of worship that sustains him in, in service. And as we keep telling the story of David, we're just going to pop in a psalm, like Psalm 8 today. Psalm 8 would center him, I'm a ruler but you're the creator of heaven and earth. What, who am I that you're mindful of me, that I get to be part of this process? David would sing those songs to remind him so he could walk in true humility. And we're going to see the songs that he sang every step of the way, living even as he rules in that priestly anointing. Sometimes we have a challenge figuring out what is my purpose? What is my calling? 
what is my anointing? What is my job? Right. I hate that question. I'm like, that's too much stress. <laughs> it's too much stress. Like, I don't know. I don't know. And I asked you all to be thinking about it this last week. I said, this Sunday, next Sunday, we're going to anoint you for service. And so come ready to be thinking about that. Cause in a minute, we're going to take, have a pause and, and ask the Lord what he would want to anoint us for. But I want you to remember all the jobs David had. David tended sheep. David played music for a tormented king. David was a warrior and was an armor bearer for a bad king. He was a soldier fighting Philistines. Later, he was leading people. Sometimes he did it right. Sometimes he did it poorly. He governed a nation which he did well most of the time, but had a few mishaps, pretty serious mishaps. He established a new place for worship in Jerusalem. And he was also needed to care for his family, which he really did badly at that. David had many jobs, many roles, many things that David needed to do. And same with us. We have different times and seasons for the things we do and the things God calls us to. I have a friend um, from Australia. He's Catholic, and he's such a Jesus follower. He's so cool. And I was talking with a mutual friend, and she said, you know what he did the other day? And I said, no, I have no idea what he did. He's kind of crazy. Um, she's like, he went into the priest and he's like, I need you to anoint me. And he's, he's very passionate. He's like, I need you to anoint me. And they're like, anoint you for what? And he's like, anoint me for service. And they're like, well, what kind of service? And he's like, I need to serve my family. And I know he has two little ones. I know he has a parent who needs help too. And they did. They anointed him to be a father, a husband, and a son. That's what they anointed him for. That was the work. He's like, I feel like the Lord wants, I, I don't know if he said this, but I think we need to have this, this idea that I want the Lord to commission me for a task at hand or a role at hand that I need power for. I need anointing for because I can't do this if the Lord isn't with me. I literally cannot do this. My dad said this at the opening of our service. I need help. We need help. And the Lord wants to provide that for us. I've given you all cards Hopefully you got a card when you came in today. If you do not have a card, do you want to raise your hand and we will bring you a card. Brenda will bring you a card. Looks like most of us got cards. That's awesome. Steve and Brenda are killing it. Yeah. <laughs> um, does anybody need a pencil? Oh, pencils too. We've got pencils coming. Pencils and pens. We might need pencils on the left side over on that side. 
Um, in a minute, we're going to write on this card. You don't have to start writing yet. We're going to give you time to think about it. You don't have to multitask. <laughs> but we're going to take time and ask, what is the work set before me? Who are the sheep I'm tending to? Or what is the task? What is the thing that I need to, I need the Lord's anointing for? Um, 1 Samuel 16, 13. Thank you, Caleb. This is his first anointing that's in the presence of his brothers. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David. Remember, he wasn't named yet. We didn't know who this person was yet, the son of Jesse. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. We, I've asked a few people to come up here and help me, and we want to anoint you in the presence of your brothers and sisters today. We want to anoint you for what God's called you to and pray that the spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you. I was praying. I've actually been wanting to do this for many months, many, many months, maybe even over a year. And I've been waiting for the time to see it, that it's right. And I was like, it's the David story. Yay, we get to do this. Where we would have a commissioning and an anointing. But during that time, I've been thinking about all the people in our midst. And this is not all of us. This is not, doesn't even begin to touch all of us who, who follow us, who come. But these are some of the people we have in our midst. We have um, servers at a restaurant, hairstylists, parents, HR specialists, software developers, ski instructors, grandparents, engineers, therapists, website designers, teachers, general contractors, those who serve in the U.S. military, students, truck drivers, caregivers, nurses, doctors, administrators, husbands, wives, sisters, brothers, sons, daughters, small business owners, big business owners, fitness instructor, accounting people, finance people, the list could go on and on. So Caleb, could you please put the next? So this is what we're going to do. Um, and I changed the plan for those of you who are going to help me with anointing. I changed it even a little bit since yesterday. The people who have the anointing oil are going to go like when we do communion, just go somewhere in the room and I'll highlight who they are in a minute. And I want us to do small groups around that person. And um, because we're gonna do this with one another. Now, if you're a guest or this is your first time and you're like, this is awkward, I don't wanna do this. Um, there's no pressure, there's no pressure, but we want you to also feel embraced and part of community and you don't have to do it. You can, you can just come and watch if you want. We just want you to feel welcome. If you would like to be anointed, 
we would love to anoint you, but if you don't want to, there's just no pressure at all. But we're a community. We believe church is a community. We're brothers and sisters, and we minister to one another. And um, we want to welcome anyone who wants to be welcomed into community. You are welcome with us. And um, just one by one, we're just going to pray for the people in our small groups. We're just going to say, we commission you today for this. And we say you are anointed as a royal priest who rules by serving, proclaiming the praises of God. We want to say your name and we want to say what you believe God has called you to. And we just want to encourage with you with that and bless you with that. So um, let me have um, the people who I've asked to pray. Could you come on up? So Sharon and Crystal and Stanley and Leslie and Ray Lynn is going to be in a group in a minute. So Ray Lynn is going to go to that back corner. Okay, Ray Lynn. So when you're done, if you want to be in Ray Lynn's group, you just go to that back corner. Sharon, do you want to just go over there? Aaron can be right here. Um, Crystal, do you want to head that way? Uh, Stanley, do you want to go to that um, corner? So, and do you want to stay right here? So we're just kind of spreading out so people can go to whatever group they want to go to. Um, and this is how we'll conclude our service in a minute. So let's stand and I'll pray first. Oh, yes, yes, thank you. Um, and then after we pray, you can write it down on your paper, your name and your place of service or your task of service, whatever it is, and then bring it to one of these leaders and they will pray for you and anoint you. Don't forget, we have Stanley back there and we have Braylon who's going to be back there. So, Lord. We are so thankful that you anoint us, that you empower us. When we submit to you and we surrender our lives to you, you empower us as priests in your kingdom, royal priests, chosen by you, anointed for purpose. And I just pray for every person in this room and for those of you online as well, um, some of you, like Bob and Carol, the Logans, Halise, just so many of you. I'm sorry I'm not saying everybody's name, but we know God is with you. We know God wants to commission you and anoint you. And we just pray that each one of us would go from this place with new eyes to see what it means to rule, to serve like David, to be commissioned to our workplace, to our home, to our spheres of influence. Forgive us, Lord, where we may have bitter root expectations about what it means to rule or to, to follow a ruler. We pray that you would heal us of those bitter root expectations and judgments and that we could be people of life 
making visible your word to people with that priestly anointing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.